and many world championships and many Olympic goals was Paul O'Donnell need to win to be the greatest sports person of all time in Ireland. Is there a number? Can we pick a number? Because he's going to do it. OTB AM. Live weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app. OTB AM. With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. I'm delighted to say Dr. Colin Kearns is with us in studio. He's involved with the Tackling Online Hate in Football project. Um, Colin, good morning to you. We've talked a little bit about this before. So uh, I guess by way of introduction to the audience, what is the Tackling Online Hate in Football project? Well, it's a project funded by the Irish Research Council and the UK Arts and Humanities Research Council that combines cutting-edge quantitative data analysis of uh, abuse of, of footballers online with uh, nuanced qualitative interviews with all of the, the relevant stakeholders in this issue. So we're talking players, club officials, grassroots anti-hate organisations, tech professionals, policymakers, and so on and so forth. And the idea is to come up, up with a appropriately multifaceted and nuanced solution to what's a really complex problem. Because this is something that's, I mean, you, you've covered a lot on this show and, and a lot of other elements of the media have and it's really exploded into mainstream consciousness, I think, in a big way since Euro 2020 and the aftermath of the final with the, the three lads missing the penos for England. But the worry is, in, you know, in the kind of rush to find a solution to it, there may be some kind of knee-jerk or, or short-term solutions from uh, politicians looking for an open goal or from tech companies just looking to kind of polish their records. So what we want to do is just go at this with a, a certain amount of uh, perspective and nuance so what we're coming out with is more hopefully more long term and more multifaceted in how it addresses the problem so um can you talk to us about what you're analyzing is it specific tournaments is it like what 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 are the um instances of online hate that you so far have been uh, combing through well, I mean, our, our ultimate idea is what will come up with will be kind of applicable across the board with online hate. But obviously, you know, practicality demands you, you limit your scope a bit. So our tech guys are looking at their case study is looking at all of the euros from both men's and women's UEFA European Championships from 2008. The men's one in Austria, Switzerland, through to the women's one that just finished last month in England with the idea that we're, we're looking to uh, specifically at the Twitter data around those and kind of trace the evolution of online hate how it grows, you know, what the different flashpoints are, whether there's any big commonalities or changes over time. Because, again, it's an issue that's really popped into the mainstream in a big way, but it, it's been going on for, for quite a while, really. So it, it, it'll be, I think, quite revealing to see how it's changed over that time and, indeed, how it, you know, how it hasn't changed. And when do you think will will you, I mean, not to say when are you going to finish this, but <laughs> when, like, when will we know what the evolution of that has been? What, what's your... Well, the project runs till August 2024. Now, I'm I, I'm conscious that as I'm saying this, I'm not on the tech side of it, so I don't want to make any promises those guys can't keep. But the, you know, we're, we're already kind of they've they've now got all the all of the data with the women's tournament in uh, in England finished, um, and, and we're already kind of doing more specific uh, looks at certain things to sort of uh, trace things. So, for instance. We're uh, combing a lot of data recently to do with um, female pundits and broadcasters in uh, Men's Euro 2020 last summer. And basically a lot, a lot of broadcasters across the Anglosphere in UK, Ireland, Australia, America had more uh, female pundits, commentators on their teams, whether that, you know, triggered a subsequent backlash or not. And we've been looking at the, uh, the reaction to that and kind of, you know, finding the, I suppose, the again the, the nuance the different kind of the stuff you see there so hopefully like that as an output will I, I would hope to have it out in you know a few months time in terms of like 
uh, the overall project outputs, yeah, you're looking at another uh, 18 months, two years. But again, you know, this is this is to address what's a long-term problem in a long-term way. Rome wasn't built in a day. What's your suspicion on when this thing really took an upward spike in terms of online hate on mainstream social media platforms? Like, is, is it basically as soon as millions of people started using these platforms, there was just this flow of hate or did it take a little bit of time for that to catch up? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's always there to an extent. I think what's interesting is if you look at the, the one of the first things we do is look at all the, the research into online hate and sport more widely. And what you see with that is a huge upsurge from 2016. Like there, there's only, you know, a handful of papers according to the criteria we use before 2016. And what's the big uh, trigger there is the Colin Kaepernick taking the knee in American football, you know, to protest against them, um, uh, systematized violence against black people in America. Uh, and, and that triggers a lot more research. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, you also see then a, a lot of kind of uh, hate, you know, almost like piggybacking, I suppose, on the, the reaction to Kaepernick in that way. Uh, I, I, th- I think it changes, too, as, as social media evolves. Like, I mean, infamously, you have to, I can't remember what year it was, but somewhere at the time in the like, late aughts, early 2010s, where like, Rio Ferdinand asked Wayne Rooney or vice versa for a lift to training on it's Twitter. Really like, you yeah. know, like, yeah. there, there, there's a weird sense of it not, you know, of a like a lack of distance and an intimacy, and I think it's more, um, you know, when it becomes this this big uh, machine, as it were, with with more and more people feeding into it. And I, oh, I think because I think with that brings this sense of distance. There's a lot spoken about anonymity with this. A lot of people we've talked to will argue, you know, anonymity is the the main, I suppose, thing that that fosters the hate. Like so long mm-hmm. as people can do it with no danger of being found out. But I don't think that's quite the case because you have a lot of the people we've encountered, like. You know, their accounts are there. Even there was a, a FIFA commission study recently um, on the, the most recent AFCON and the most recent Euros that found half of the players in both tournaments were subjected to abuse. And they found, I think it was 80 or 90% of the accounts that were abusing could be traced. So I think it's less anonymity than this sense of people kind of, I suppose, d- doing it from a space where they, they feel like they can get away with it or they're justified in doing it. Like if you're you know, one person with uh, two dozen followers shouting at a celebrity with, you know, a footballer with millions of followers, it feels, I, I don't know, like even if it's not anonymous, it doesn't feel intimate, it doesn't feel real or something. Uh, and and I think like that, you know, on some level allows people to. But even as I say that, I'm kind of wary of armchair diagnosing everyone with it because what we have found is you, you do see a market difference. For instance, to go back to that paper we're working on on um, female pundits or the Euros, what roughly the reactions to those you kind of see it in three ways and and one is positive and that shouldn't be you know understated there are a lot of people who are just like oh yeah you know these are really good broadcasters whatever uh two is kind of like gendered criticism that's like seemingly uh you know not not heated it's just like uh whatever rubbish uh, punditry there from alex scott can't stand that woman but it's kind of pointed reactions to the to gender and if you search for like whatever other pundits alan Shear, richie sadly or whatever there's no there's no kind of equivalent like that man is awful um so those ones are sort of more like latent what you might call latently sexist and then you have the very conspiratorial stuff where it's like the only reason these people are on our telly is because of some bbc rte espn woke agenda or whatever and you know, tied into other kind of hateful conspiracy, uh, conspiracy stuff. So when I'm talking about the kind of mindset of individual abusers, there there is definitely a difference there between people who are kind of swept up in the tide of this and it has become normalised in some way and, and they might kind of, 
they mightn't do it in their daily lives, but social media has become a space where they feel it's okay to do it versus the people who are very much tied into kind of furthering this because of their own, you know, beliefs and that like it's wrong for women to be in football or black people to be playing for England or whatever else it might be. Is one other aspect of this as well that has mushroomed in that period of time is that um, people who previously would have felt uh, I'm not going to express my hatred here because I'll be the only one doing it that there's a sense of cover from um, us doing it you know, if 10 of us Manchester United fans or Middlesbrough fans or Villa fans or Ireland fans all say the same thing well then they're not going to come after all of us and then is there also another element where actually there are organised campaigns where you know somebody's saying well look let's all just start giving out about this and turn this into something yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's something we, we definitely want to look at later in, in, in the project is how this ties in to kind of more organized, say, you know, far right organizations and so on. Like, are they kind of actively fostering this in a way that, say, during the Brexit referendum in Britain, you had, I think it was a tour of all Twitter traffic was Russian bots preaching pro-Brexit stuff. Um, now, I don't know whether, how you know, how many of the kind of accounts we found are bots or not, but there definitely is a sense of astroturfing of people artificially kind of... Uh, get, getting on this hate bandwagon to further particular causes. So yeah, I, I definitely think that's there. There's that sense of uh, you don't want to say mob mentality because mob mentality implies a kind of spontaneity in the mob forming. I, I think there are kind of like other forces that work. And yeah, yeah, yeah. that'd be really interesting to see because like I mean, I think anybody who is as online as we are in our jobs, you certainly sense that. Like oh, today something somebody a flick a, a switch has been flicked and this is now an issue. And there's going to be a surge in it over the next while. And then that surge brings people with it who are oblivious to the fact that actually uh, somewhere an organization has decided that today this is the agenda. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, certainly in the stuff like I've come through, you see kind of repeated words or even like, you know, literally repeated tweets or Instagram posts word for word that are obviously being kind of derived from some central uh, source. But also, you, you know, you, you sort of see people I suppose having their outrage stoked in that way that may, maybe they're not aware that yeah they're, they're like the the person kind of stoking their outrage isn't someone as um, legitimately or uh, neutrally invested in this as they are. It's someone with a you know with, with a cause behind it. Yeah, they're, they're, these people are being useful idiots mm -hmm. uh, by um, by boosting the signal. Lest anybody think this is um, a Premier League story or uh, an American story, in the Star today they're reporting that. A League of Ireland footballers received death threats in the aftermath of a match on Monday. Cork City striker Lewis Britton highlighted the abuse he was sent on social media after their clash with Waterford. He came off the bench for the First Division leaders, having spent five months on loan at the Blues this season. And so um, stuff included that he'd have his throat slit should he step foot in Waterford again. Other messages saw users wish Britain to do his ACL, urging him to book a hospital appointment and wanting him to suffer a career-ending injury. So... This is not a, an English problem. This is a, a global problem, and it's an Irish problem too. Absolutely. And, you know, like any kind of global problem, there's very um, local specificities to it. So, you know, in the Irish case, you have the fact that, like, a lot of the clubs wouldn't have the facilities at their disposal to uh, police their social media or provide kind of training that, you know, rich Premier League or even championship clubs might have. So that kind of, uh, you know, often with some of them having spoken to people... Um, club officials at League of Ireland clubs often like the social media account might be run on a volunteer or semi-voluntary basis so you do have people swimming against the tide to attempt to stop this and what's another local factor too with Ireland as you mentioned while I'm on it is you find a lot of the abuse comes from uh, international users from gambling so you'll have these say you know people placing 
massive accumulators in Asia and whatever, like Bose losing the Pats or like, you know, Cork losing the Wexford or something will mess it up for them. And they'll be hurling really vicious abuse at, uh, you know, the players or, or, or club accounts or having done that. And there's obviously limited uh, capacity as to what the clubs themselves can actually do and acting against these people well beyond the jurisdiction of the Garda, you know, on the, on the other side of the world. Yeah, it's, it's funny because we, we actually have a tweet here from Tom Gary that was actually talking about um, an NWSL club, Angel City, who've partnered with um, an English-based safety tech company, Go Bubble, which apparently allows you to plug in your social accounts and protect them from online hate, bullying, racism, etc. And they're the first American professional team to protect a team in this way. Do you, do you see this becoming more of, of um, so it's funny there might be a tech solution to this tech problem uh, as opposed to actually a societal solution to the societal problem that's the other aspect of all this the tech companies are probably very interested in this research going well you know what, what can we do how can we stop this yeah yeah and, and I, I, I definitely it's something we've become aware of as we've gone on it's this sort of cottage industry and what you might call anti-hate software um, and it, it's I mean, it, 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 looking could not be anything with it, but a positive if, if you know players aren't being subjected to hate that they wear because of this. But it does have its limits. For one, some of the people we've spoken to within this industry have found that uh, you know clubs they've offered it to are, are actually kind of unwilling to take it up. And you know, for, from what they say, at least that the price is relatively small potatoes when it comes to the you know the budget of a, a major football club. But they've often found that the clubs are kind of wary of being seen to police their own fan base and that this will upset it. So it will only become an issue when it begins actively impacting on the player's performance and then they'll step in. The other aspect to it, too, is there will be certain forms of abuse they're more willing to um, use this technology to police than others. So the, the tech will kind of flag all of these, you know, comments. No, no, I should say these. These there are a lot of different tech platforms doing this, and the service they offer varies from platform to platform. But by and large, it will flag these, you know, like problematic comments as they come in. And what some of them have found is that, say, clubs will be very quick to act on uh, racist comments, say against, you know, black or just any kind of, uh, you know, players of color. But say they won't act on on homophobic comments. So, and what we kind of speculate this about is because if obviously if you say Marcus Rashford is getting you know like anti-black racist uh, um, Twitter comments on him or Instagram comments or whatever, they're an attack on him personally. But the thing about this online hate is it serves two functions, particularly in the game as global football. Like it attacks the individual targeted, but it also attacks who they wider represent. So if you're attacking Marcus Rashford for you know being black and playing football. That's essentially like an attack on all black people involved in the game, saying, you know, you shouldn't be involved, or if you are involved, you're going to suffer this racist abuse. So I think is if clubs, you know, see it like homophobic abuse against players, and they're thinking, well, he's got a wife and kids at home, so like this is water off a duck's back, like maybe it is maybe it isn't but it's all that abuse is also serving the function of like to you know queer people within the game more widely you're not welcome here so that's that's one limitation with it in that like it puts it puts it at the um I suppose the uh, impetus for solving this problem solely in the clubs who particularly um, this isn't so much in the case with League of Ireland clubs but particularly with say like Premier League Serie A uh, clubs you know they're owned by like billionaires in like from completely other countries who may have really no interest in what we might call like the social good of a football club and kind of you know fostering a better atmosphere within a particular community um, the other thing too is that like it doesn't actually stamp out the problem at its heart it you know it, it it kind of stops it from getting to source, as it were, from getting to the target. But 
you know these and some some of these platforms will give the the clients the clubs the ability to report the abusing users to twitter to instagram whatever but uh, not necessarily all of them will the other thing I, I would say too, and I'm conscious that again, I'm not the tech expert in this project, but what we have come across so far is that you get a lot of false positives with tech-based moderation. For one, a lot of research done so far is mainly on like text-based stuff, so you know, particular hate terms and so on. But obviously, emojis and images can be used in a particular way to convey hate, and they can be used in a way that it would be very hard to pick up on. So, say like something as innocuous as like, you know, like the vomiting emoji or something, right? Like. Uh, Jer sends Owen a picture of like you know him and his wife on their like uh, anniversary or whatever. He sends the vomit emoji, just a bit of banter, like at a room. Grand, you know, uh, some someone puts up an article about like a uh, player coming out as gay or something, and they attach the vomit emoji. That's clearly like a you know this, this is sick, whatever. Yeah. But you can't you you can't really build a technology that combs for an emoji as innocuous as that. Um, equally, too, I mean, even in the text-based stuff, you have a lot of false positives. Like, uh, we're doing another uh, paper on kind of this main sponsor brands of Euro 2020 and how they reacted to particular homophobic incidents during the tournament. You remember with the um, the German FA wanting to light the Allianz Stadium in rainbow colours and UEFA not lend them and so on. So we were doing this, you know, combing it, our data set for, you know, particular, like, uh, uh, homophobic hate terms we got a load of false positives for like Scottish striker Lyndon Dykes you know um, now that's a like laughable like uh, you know um, just mistaken it but it's just to underline how these purely tech based thing there is at least in my experience there is a limit to them and as good as it is that there are services out there that will protect people from this I think it would be a worry if particularly the major tech platforms themselves rush to this as, okay, grand. Of course they will, because it it gets them off the hook. That's Mm -hmm. the point of of all this, is that it allows Twitter and Instagram and whoever else to monetize the hate because they continue to drive traffic off the hate. And that we found, like eventually Twitter got rid of Trump from their platform, but they made millions and millions and millions millions, of having him there in the first place. So... Um, the, the the responsibility that they bear it's going to be very interesting to see how much of that comes out over the course of the project what's, what's interesting with that is people who've spoken to in, in say the FAI and in anti-hate organisations in Ireland I've asked them about their experience of speaking to the tech platforms because so many of them are based here you know their European headquarters and whether when, when it comes to kind of charging them with like you know doing something about the problem of hate in football whether the tech platforms themselves cite practical barriers like you know this is just like there's the volume of traffic on Twitter and Instagram on Facebook on you know so on on TikTok whatever it's just so much we, we can't police it or whether they cite it on ideological grounds of well we know it's a problem but we are so committed to free speech that it you know we can't, uh, we won't allow ourselves to step in. And they said, the people from the FAI and from um, anti-hate organizations said it's very much like their experience has been tech platforms will cite ideological reasons, they'll cite their commitment to free speech. Now, possibly they might say they're also practical barriers, but I do find it interesting that like when asked about the problem, their you know their response to it is to kind of double down on this idea of, of free speech, which is a very important right, but like, you know, you have an issue here where it's a right that is clashing with someone's right to be protected from abuse and a right to kind of, you know, follow or participate in the sport they love without being hounded for it. Yeah, it's pretty horrific. The, the, one of the other solutions to the, the data issue is that you're doing long-form interviews with people, and that's kind of one of the reasons why you're here today, is to ask people who have experienced this to get in touch with their stories. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. As I said, what we really want to get is, is kind of across the board, 
uh, nuanced look at this possible. So, um, like anyone who who's experienced or observed online hate in, in football in the UK, Ireland, anywhere else, we'd love for them to get in touch with us. With uh, you can find us on on Twitter, Toef Now, Instagram, Toef Now. Get them aware of the irony of a <laughs> project against online hate. But like this is the this is the sea in which you got to swim. You can also email us at info at toef That's T O H I F. And on the website toef on the contact section, there's a text box that people can just write in there their experiences uh, with this issue because we're just you know fascinated to see no doubt there's the volume of it of so much of it suggests that like there is going to be so much going on that we don't know and we're always wary of uh leaning or depending on one particular stakeholder's uh, experience of this more than another so like anyone who's gotten observation or an experience of this problem is uh, is interesting and valuable to us so yeah please do get in touch that acronym is tackling online hate and football t-o-h-i-f That's, yeah yeah okay and so uh we'll we'll share all the details on our socials as well it's really fascinating stuff and it's important work and it's great to know that it's being done in ireland as well as as in the uk so uh colin we're very grateful to you for coming in this morning and sharing that with us well thanks so much for having me i really appreciate it lads otb am with gillette get into your flow with the new gillette labs razor with exfoliating bar 